0: get your sugar sugar postpartum deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening. Hello mighty parent or parent to be, welcome to Birthful. I am Adriana Lozada and we are right now in the midst of our Get Ahead Start on Your Postpartum Logistics series. Now, in our usual loose structure where we alternate between a topical interview and a birth story, today would be a birth story day. But we've decided to do something different and bring you a companion episode if you will to the episode we did with Caitlin McGreyes on why you deserve professional postpartum support and how to afford it. The truth is that regardless of how much professional support you have, the most wonderful postpartum experiences include a combination of both support from your community and from the professionals. At the same time, We get that it can be really tricky to figure out how to set up truly nourishing, nourishing postpartum support from your friends and family when a lot of them don't quite know how to help, don't have time for it, or may even make things worse by surfacing complex family dynamics. So that's the daunting conundrum, isn't it? How to set up a plan that is actually helpful. And so here's where this episode comes in. Michelle is the author of the book, Seven Sisters for Seven Days, a Mother's Manual for Community-Based Postpartum Care. And you can think of her approach as a really great example of a structure that is highly customizable for your needs and circumstances. Now, in Michelle's framework, what you do is you bring together at least seven people who really nourish you, whether it's close friends, sisters, cousins, aunties, parents, other relatives... And I know that the name says sisters, but really age and gender don't matter as long as you choose people that are reliable and incredibly nurturing to you. And then each one signs up for a day of the week where they will come over at whatever time you determine for however long you determine to take care of whatever you determine that you need that day, be it doing laundry, holding your baby while you sleep or take a nap, or just listening to you share what you're going through. And what's really brilliant about this approach is that by spreading the support over a group of people, they also don't become overwhelmed, making it possible for you to count on the support for weeks and months, not just a few days. And then as the weeks go by, you create deeper connections and you all grow together. In this episode, Michelle and I go into a little bit more of the details as to why this matters, how long should it go on for, when to start setting it up, where your partner fits in all of this if you have a partner, why you should not be the one to coordinate it, and so then who could or should be the team leader for your group. You're listening to Breathful here to inform your intuition. Michelle, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So before we start diving deep into how to even consider and start working on setting up your postpartum support, your your village, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I'm obviously a mother of two boys, and I had my first son in 2010, and I had a really challenging postpartum for a lot of reasons. Um, My husband worked really long hours, which is not uncommon. And I was alone a lot. I had undiagnosed thyroid issues that started cropping up pretty early. I had adrenal fatigue. I mean, I had this whole gamut, who knows the chicken or the egg what started what, but I had a lot of health stuff going on. I didn't have any other mom friends yet because I was the first one in our group that got pregnant and I felt very isolated, alone, confused, and I'm kind—I'm of the mind of, um, you know, very self-directed woman. You just handle it and you get it done. And I was raised by a woman like that, so I just thought, well, this is how it is—you just do it, and you know, it's hard, and you got bleeding nipples, and this, you know, I thought, well, that just must be how it is, and that was my mindset for quite a while. And then I hit a point, maybe a year and a half in, where. I was exhausted. My hair was still falling out. Um, It was like lead boots, and I just didn't feel like myself. And I finally went and got a checkup and found all the thyroid issues and everything else. Mm -hmm. I had adrenal depletion at thirty-one, and I'm going, what? You know, and so it it went on this. I went on this journey of healing from all those health issues that got probably triggered from all the depletion of my postpartum because I was doing everything by myself, which isn't uncommon. And that I can handle this, and I'll bounce back. And when I wasn't bouncing back. Okay, something's wrong, and it wasn't until I got pregnant with my second that I realized how bad my first postpartum was. Because all I could focus on was getting a postpartum doula and getting help, and I was just like, I don't want to go through that again. And I didn't realize how hard it was because you're wrapped up in baby. I mean, you've got this baby, and you obviously love your baby, and not all moms even feel that right away. But I was in love with my baby and excited about that part. Yet at the same time, I was spiraling, you know, mm-hmm. and I I didn't realize. How bad it was, so I got pregnant with my second, and I hired a doula, and then she got pregnant, and I thought, I need to figure out a way to get this help because I'm not going through that again. I'm just simply not willing to do that to myself, and um that's how this you know this whole system was born out of necessity. A friend and I got to talking, and she's like, "Why don't you just call on your friends? We would love to help you, and you know I have a very community minded community where I am, so that was a natural thought, and I thought, well you know, I don't want to bother people. And I started rolling it around in my head, because that's a lot of women, I don't want to ask for too much. I don't want to burden anybody, which is just like, people want to come and help when the baby's born, they just don't know what to do. Yeah, And um, I started slowly forming this idea. And then I'm like, wait, you know, I could have someone sign up for a day, you know, because the whole meal train idea was kind of in my head, like, well, okay, we could have someone sign up to do all different kinds of tasks. And my main focus was Um, meals and getting my other son to school wasn't so worried about laundry and all that other stuff I thought we'll get to that but it was like I need to nourish my body and what was in my head was nourishing my thyroid and nourishing my adrenals so I worked with my doctor and I created this whole herbal protocol with her Who's she's a naturopath and then I created a whole meal plan based on what was going because I had gut issues too I mean I had a lot of stuff come up after my first that's how it all started and it, it became just something that I birthed for myself and then my midwife was so moved by it. She's like, well, you teach this to the women at my practice. I would love to do that. And then it just started happening in the community to where people would even say to me, have you heard of the seven sisters? And I'd be like, yeah, I've heard of that. I, I, I came up with it. So it was born out of necessity. It was born out of having a really hard postpartum the first time around and vowing to not go through that again, but also to help other women recognize that not only can they have that support, but they are worthy of it and they might very well need it like I did. Oh, my goodness. I find that's
0: the biggest hurdle that we face. You know, when I do my classes, I'm sure you've experienced this, too. A lot of us are kind of type A, kind of very self-directed, kind of, you know, those things happen to other people. I got all my stuff under control. Mm -hmm. And then postpartum becomes it's hard to understand how it affects people at all level not just physically but in their identity and how it exposes their coping mechanisms how it exposes their relationship with their with their partners like there's so much to it that you know I even call it the pregnancy hangover (laughs) because during pregnancy it's all about you and marvelous. And, and then when you get to postpartum, it's all about the baby and your self-care goes out the window. Yeah. What I often hear is if I only knew ahead of time,
1: because once the baby arrives, it's too late. It's true. It's tricky, you know, and I've had a lot of women contact me after the baby's born going, I really wished I did this plan with you. And it's, you know, it is what it is. We learn through, ex- we're experiential learners, right? I've been working on an I wish I knew document, but I know there's other ones out there. And i like, I'd love those to be in midwifery centers and birth centers. And for that to be part of the protocol of preparing a family. And I think there's more of that now. It's so it's phase one is hopefully they do some research and read into that and look into that and talk to other people people who've had challenges, but phase two of that is letting them know what their resources are. If after the baby comes, stuff comes up. So at least they know where to get help and it's not as much of a scramble. So I can like phase one, maybe we could plan before, but if not, here are all your resources if something comes up. And so hopefully if, you know, listeners, people who are out there listening to this right now
0: can take a little bit to heart that we're telling you for a good reason that you really Mm -hmm. should prepare. Don't leave it till the last minute. You will thank us very much later. Mm -hmm. Um, In that same spirit, let's talk about why is self-care during the postpartum period so important?
1: You know, a lot of people resist the self-care word. It's becoming more of a buzz thing nowadays, but it's so important because so much of the focus is on the baby, but it's also you're going to be caring for this child for the next 18 years and on really. Right. And um, ideally, and your needs, a lot of your needs are going to be put aside for a little while. I mean, idealistically that's not true. And for some women, even women, I knew women in my community that had nannies and chefs and everything, and were still struggling. So (laughs) there's things that get put aside. So it's really important to learn how to fill your cup, work with what you have, Fill your reserves, not because motherhood is just this demanding, draining, identity-less experience. It's not that. It's just there are parts of you that and energy reserves that are gonna be depleted. You probably will lose sleep. There's things that you've not been trained for, never probably gone through in your life that are gonna happen that you need to be prepared for. And self care can help give you know women reserves, and it goes for the partner too. And part of self care too that you know I'm including more is also Having reserves for the relationship because there's going to be time chipped away at that and you know there's always a way and you can get creative and have a sense of humor and know that I always tell moms there's little phases and they're temporary and the not sleeping is temporary and having mommy brain is temporary and you will look back and laugh because I do but it's so you can show up fully for your child your life and this whole new whole new experience of being I mean you, you we don't get trained for this. You don't. You don't. You wish we had training camps. Okay, we're gonna wake you up every two hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but we don't get a like the joke. We don't get a handbook. We don't. We're not prepared for this, and this is a pretty big job. It's kind of funny to me that there's not more training involved beforehand. You know, <laughs> so it's about filling up your reserves and knowing how to take really good care of yourself in the name of being able to show up for your family.
0: I I think one of the biggest expectations that needs to be adjusted is the time, how long it takes to recover. In the U.S. specifically, our, our 12 weeks of unpaid leave, that's just the fourth trimester. By the time that's done, you're barely getting your handle on things, on your new normal. Like the first thing to bust is this idea that, oh, in two weeks, I'll be running around and doing all the things when, in fact, it's going to take months. Yeah. Yeah. And and to make it sustainable, you got to be able to take care of yourself. Otherwise, you are going to find yourself extremely depleted and and then things really fall
1: apart. And and we are in a society of burnout. I mean, burnout is, I think, one of the biggest issues I see. And a lot of people I work with, they're already fried or the husband's fried and, you know, people are fighting because they're fried. And <laughs> like, we, we've got to learn how to take better care of ourselves and not be in such a rush and to do, 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 and be so busy. And, you know, for some women, I find too that, and, and the partners just slowing down and having to be still because you're with the you know if you're staying at home with baby for weeks I know for me at first just sitting on the couch and nursing all the time and not being able to do stuff just made me bananas and then mm-hmm. I got used to it and I was like this is really nice and with my second postpartum I was like I'm going on vacation with the baby everybody leave me alone <laughs> yes I lounged I had meals made and I know I knew it would be go time soon you know so I took I Took it, you know, took it in. And I've been much better now at taking care of myself since then and just resting when I need to rest. Because I know once I get back into the grind, it's full on. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And as bad as.
1: Shutting it down. Shutting it down.
0: Yeah. (laughs) As bad as we are at self-care, we are really good at taking vacations. That's true. So, I do feel like if it, it can be reframed as a vacation. You don't clean on vacation. You don't, you know, you eat good. really well and sleep well and have other people cook
1: your meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. That's true. That's a really good, that's a great way to frame it.
0: Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code Birthful for 10% off today. So, how long should this vacation be? Like when you're setting up support for yourself, for how long do you need to plan?
1: You know, I tell women ideally six weeks, but for a lot of people, they can't even wrap their mind around that. Like, that's too long. And it's like, actually, you know, you just barely stop bleeding at six weeks. Well, it depends, but Mm -hmm. ideally six weeks, I'd say no less than four, but it really depends on their lifestyle and, and what they're willing to allow to happen. Cause a lot of people have trouble receiving. Um, I did, you know, the first 40 days I did six weeks, which is what 42 days. And I actually personally didn't really go out socially besides I went for long walks in our neighborhood. We're backed up to Forest Service land. So I just go out and wear my baby. But I didn't really go out out for eight. And that sounds crazy. Like I'd go to the store without the baby, but baby and I didn't go out beyond our nature hikes for eight weeks. We were just nature and home. And for me, that really worked. And some people like that's a long time. And I'm like, in the grand scheme of your child's life and yours really not a long time at all but people adapt it to what they're comfortable with everybody's got got their normal and what they feel they need but ideally 6 weeks but at least 4 is what I you know generally recommend to people mm-hmm. and it doesn't you know it doesn't mean you have people come into your house 7 days a week a lot of times they're just on call and in my case they came a couple days a week to drop off meals and and then you know four of the women on my team ended up using the system and then we were all supporting them you know it's really beautiful how it kept going
0: Mm, then and you knew exactly what everybody needed and 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 knew that you were paying it forward when you were helping somebody else. I love that and and it's bringing back that village because we're not supposed to parent alone.
1: No, absolutely not. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> <You might. laughs> walk us through a little bit like your program. Like how to how is it set up? Is it always just between your friends? Do you mix that with professional support? Because it feels like. The the idea of a postpartum doula is like a professional service that fills in this void. But you came at it with a different approach. So talk to me more about that.
1: Well, you know, a lot of women, the things I hear is either they can't afford a doula or they there's not a lot in my area, for example. I don't even know if there's any in my town. There's some like two hours in Phoenix. We're in, you know, Verde Valley, which is northern Arizona. Or they don't want a stranger staying at the house is another one. So then they they look for a more community-based approach and meal train has been a big thing that I see a lot of women doing. But the way that my system works is it was designed for family and friends. That's what it was designed for. You can send a letter out to family and friends for your baby shower and say, you know, what I did was instead of asking for gifts, I'm asking for people to... Well, in, in, you can do whatever you want, right? But if you wanted to donate the gift of time, here's what we're looking for, and this is why, and here's the things we're looking for help with. And um, that's one way that women do it, or they have a doula, a postpartum doula, actually actually coordinate the team for them. So they might have a doula, I've seen this done quite a few times, who also runs their team. So they the doula might not be going in there as often. Or she might be doing her stuff and then the team's coming in and doing other things. Then, you know, the grander vision was that these teams are not just for the postpartum, but surgery, hospice, a death in the family. We've used them for all of those things as well in, in my community. So you call on your family and friends and you the basic over you know overview of it is you call on your family and friends and you tell them exactly what you're needing help with. And then people sign up for a day. They could be on call from 11 to 12 on Mondays, and that's their day. And then you have backup members, and it can be as detailed as the family wants, you know. And we had talked about earlier, you know, everything from having a backup plan to having backup members, like I said, and having a team leader. I mean, it, it can get as detailed as the family wants. And ideally, The way I suggest people set it up is have a team leader so that person can oversee everything so the family doesn't have to think about it. They can just rest and get their food and get their house handled. And there is a lot of details that go into that. And I joke that a nursing mother will have a ball with that, you know, like everything from letting the team know where everything is in the house. And when we we do it really organized, the team leader we'll bring the team to the house, they'll have a meeting with the mother, and they'll show where the what the right detergent is, where to put the dishes, I mean, however far they want to take it for some moms, we, we want to keep her from doing anything. So if you're putting her dishes in the wrong spots, that's not really going to help, especially if that's really important to her. I had one woman who labeled everything in her kitchen, she got went a little crazy with a label maker. And you know, the nesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> nesting <can make> you... <laughs> thought, that's really fun for nesting. She really went crazy with that label maker. So everybody knew where everything was. So she didn't have to think about it. And to her, that was important. So that's how it. the, the basics of it.
0: Now, that sounds fantastic. And I want to talk a little bit more about what factors should you consider when setting up your support?
1: There's a lot. So there is First, the woman's health picture, which is something she has to assess with her provider. But knowing your health picture is really helpful for building what I call the postpartum protocol, which would, in my case, was the herbs and the meals. And it's, again, how far people want to take it. So looking at what the health picture is so she can support her body in that way and what the ideal foods would be. If she has the predisposition to low thyroid or adrenals, like I did, or anything like that, you want to nourish that because pregnancy and birth is a big event for the body. So, understanding her health picture is super helpful in implementing that into her protocol. So, the building of the protocol is the health picture. And then you look at what the priorities are, the things that she feels she needs the most. I tell women rest, nourishment, and hydration. And um, you want to set up the environment so that you can get rest. So I would say, you know, making the bedroom a place of sleep and not having iPhones, computers and a bunch of stuff right there. But you can do whatever you want, which is what I also always say, because you just had a baby, do whatever you want. You want to eat pizza and scroll on your phone, go ahead. But (laughs) ideally, you want to rest when the baby's resting, right? We all know that creating a nursing station, just looking at an environment, what are my priorities for my environment and also my highest needs. So Nourishment, maybe creating a meal plan or making it very clear to people what kinds of foods you love or buying the ingredients for people if they want to make them for you, which is something a lot of people do. Setting up a good sleep environment, even getting a good nightlight so you can see when you have to breastfeed in the middle of the night can be huge. Really, you know, you don't want to get up, turn on the light. I'm looking for, I look for all these ways. How can we keep mommy in bed? Get a thermos, get a tea press, just ways to keep her in bed. Uh, making sure she's adequately hydrated. Get her a big thermos, just so there's lots of fluids always there. And then identifying what her, what tools she might want for that protocol. Like I said, the tea press or a boppy or a nursing nightgown or things that'll make it easier. Nursing bras, all these little things that can really make a huge difference um, when you get this little baby. Trying out baby carriers ahead of time, wearing them, going to a baby wearing group. So, there's that piece. And then identifying what her partner needs to feel supported. And, you know, people have different ideas around what they're willing to receive, not because it's wrong or right, but they may not want people coming into the home, or they may feel insecure about people seeing their home or seeing them at a time like that. So, that's another piece is identifying what their realm of comfort is and setting up the plan to support that. If we put, you know, we've had families where it's a cooler outside their door. And we send a text to them when food's coming. So it's not sitting outside too long. Having a dry erase board on the front door or a little store hanger, whatever you need to do. So identifying all those pieces, obviously identifying your team members, having someone ideally being the point person, which is kind of like the gatekeeper that oversees the whole process. And, you know, there's things that the family aren't going to know about that are going to come up. So also having in most cases at least, a list of care providers, like I said earlier, lactation consultants, whatever, you know, if they do acupressure or chiropractic or just knowing where all their supports are. Interviewing pediatricians ahead of time can be huge for a lot of people. So identifying what their priorities are. Also having a backup plan is important. It's something people don't want to look at, but identifying what that might look like. And an example of a backup plan is when we had a woman transfer People went to the house, got the room ready, cleaned it up, cleaned up her bedroom make it made it super cozy, and put food in the freezer. just little things like that, just thinking ahead and I can imagine this sounds really overwhelming to a pregnant woman. I mean they're probably already doing other classes and, and thinking about the birth. I know for my first pregnancy it was all about the birth, and with my second, I like barely thought about my birth room. it was all postpartum 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 so Just recognizing they're setting themselves up for success. They're not going to cover every base, but starting to know what's out there for them because there are a lot of resources. There really are um, even postpartum support international if they're experiencing any depression or blues or anything like that. Just knowing they have an array of resources to support them as well is a big part of the plan. And it, you know, it can be customized to every, any situation. I'm like, give me the situation. We'll customize it. There's always a way, you know, to, to get support to the family. Even like I said, if it's a cooler outside the door and that's it, it's something. The clearer their mother is about what her needs are, the better people can support and mm-hmm. and the partner. And, you know, there is emotional work that comes up depending on, you know, as a doula, I'm sure you've seen this, you know, around it's it's one of the biggest pieces in the women I work with is looking at what blocks they have around receiving help or feeling judged or, you know, all these different things that come up. There's more women than I thought that I've met that are very insecure about people, friends being in their home at such a vulnerable time. So that's, that's, there's some work there too. So there's a lot of stuff that comes with it, but it's so worth it. And you know, like I said, my first postpartum, it wasn't terrible, but it sure was hard. It didn't have to be that hard. And my second was like a vacation. I mean it wasn't mm-hmm. a breeze, but it wasn't anything like the first because I prepared. And you know, you were saying people plan for their their vacation. So I'm like, I watch these people go on TripAdvisor and like re, you know, research every restaurant they're gonna go to and da 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 and it's like, why well, can't you do that while you point plan that way for a baby, invest in you know <laughs> getting a little help. Yeah.
0: No. And I think it's something that's slowly changing because, for example, with the birth, like we I always tell people you prepare so much to have a birth, but have you prepared to have a baby? And Mm. at this point in time, everybody, it's very common to have people sort of assume that one of the things they will do is take childbirth education classes. Mm -hmm. We have not gotten to the point where everybody's like, yeah, I need to take a Postpartum preparation class. Things are switching in terms of breastfeeding. I see lots of new and expecting parents or expecting parents taking a breastfeeding class, for example, because they know, they've understood that that can be challenging. Yeah. And you made a great point about partners of bringing them in because this is just as much their kid, right? And so bringing them in so that they feel part of the team and supported and that their needs are covered. Because what I find often, if you have an army of people that descends in the house to help, mm-hmm. that partners can often feel pushed back mm-hmm. and left out. So what are some, some thoughts on how to navigate that?
1: Well, I encourage when women contact, it's always women that contact me about setting up a plan and I'll say, I, you know, how do we get started? And I prefer to have the partners involved from the beginning. So they have a say in everything that's happening. So yeah, it's not an army storming in. And, you know, in my case, all right, my partner kind of got out of the way and let me handle it, which is the common, the common thing. But I did consult with him about, you know, well, it was different though, because I was the one creating it. But, you know, what would you be comfortable with? Are you okay with this? And he said, I'm good. I trust your friends. And I'm really grateful. And he kind of got out of the way, which is a common thing. But another way, you know, I encourage women to bring the partner in if it's possible. And sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes they just do that. I default to her, you know, looking at, well, how can we get them help? You know, maybe even a massage or a night out with their friends, seriously, or, or, you know, just a night where we talk about what's going on for them. And I really encourage women to let the partner find their way so it doesn't become this paradigm where they're saying, well, I have to do everything and he's not helping or she and sometimes that's because they haven't been given the opportunity to find their way and they need support and learning how to even wear the baby or how to hold the baby and all the things that we'd be teaching the moms I've, I've really encouraged people to include the partner in that so they don't feel disempowered in the process that's one of the bigger pieces but yeah also consulting with them about are you okay with people coming to the house and sometimes I have met some partners who aren't comfortable with people just bringing food or there might be religious beliefs or case systems that wouldn't allow that. Those are things you got to traverse and be very clear about. So there's no friction that's created, obviously, which I haven't ever encountered that. But, you know, bringing them in as much as you can, Mm. really, and including them not making it just about the mom and the other piece, like, let's teach him how to burp the baby or her and let's let's teach the partner these things as well. So they don't get alienated because they know how to do it and they can wear the baby you know I, oh. i'll never forget the day that my husband was um vacuuming while wearing the baby and i i went for a walk and came back and he was so proud of himself you know <laughs> yeah look at me you know and i'm like yeah of course you can do that that's your baby
0: that's right yeah and it's empowering to them and it's also you know because like you mentioned the other way around it can breed resentment it can breed division yeah. and at the end of the day when everybody leaves, these are the two people that are left in the house funding for baby. You got it right. So yeah. th- I think fostering a an a mentality where parents come in and check in with each other and know that it's hard for both of them and that they, instead of divide and conquering, because that dividing and conquering can be really helpful, but in the mentality, always having a mentality behind it of being a team and how yeah. do we work together can make. A huge difference. That's like another one of those ideas of reframing expectations. Of this is going to suck, probably because we're going to be sleep deprived and we don't know what we're doing, and we got all these people trying to help. But
1: you and I have to like keep it together here. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. And you know, I I'm, I'm walking proof of it with my first. My famous sentence was, "Let me handle it." I just took over mm. and I did everything. And then I resented him for not being more involved when in fact, he he was just like, I don't know what to, <laughs> you know, with my second, I'm pretty sure the hour after he was born, he was laying on dad's chest while I got went and got cleaned up. I had no problem doing that. And it was just night and day. And you know, he was so much more involved because I I let it happen, you know, so that's the piece to look at. And I, I just experienced the two alternate universes. And I thought, wow, I really resented him for what I had created. You know, he was wasn't sure what to do, because I just took over. And it's common, I see it a lot. And then they get resentful. And it's like, well, you got to include him more. I mean, it's just as new to them as it is for you. And you just yeah. reminded me like the onslaught of
0: changes in your identity and you know coping mechanisms and all that like one of the two of the biggest things that come up that like are cornerstones that make postpartum difficult for the primary caregiver is that there's a lot of isolation involved Mm -hmm. and there's also the feeling of being overtouched so I find that usually you know in terms of Ways that you recharge, people tend to be somewhere in the spectrum of needing others to recharge, so being very social, mm-hmm. or needing time to themselves to recharge. And this is one unique situation where you got neither, right? You're yeah. very alone, but over because this baby's hijacked your body. You thought pregnancy uh-huh. was bad. Now they're on you all the time, right? Uh-huh. So... I think this system is, I love it because having that support structure of people that are going to come in help with the isolation part and you can determine how much or how little that goes into it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And then also what you were mentioning about partners being able to carry the baby and take care of baby, having... Somebody you can give the baby away to for a little bit of time without feeling guilty about it and knowing that baby's going to be t- well taken care of can lessen your overtouch
1: feelings. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially with, you know, attachment parenting where there, you know, people are wearing the baby, which was me with my first all the time. <laughs> I couldn't put him down. And that was part of his personality. It's like, other people can wear your baby, too, you know? <laughs> 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 like your partner. Exactly. And
0: they will sleep. <laughs> On them. And, well, go figure. Yeah.
1: I know. Yeah, yeah. that
0: letting go can be hard, but it grows mm-hmm. as the days go by and you get more used to it and Absolutely. become more over Just take this yeah. baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, boy.
0: Uh, oh, very good. Um, speaking of that, do you also, when you're creating the plan, do you have kind of like an exit strategy for when that support winds down?
1: Well, you know, when it's family and friends, ideally people are keeping an eye on mama and family and just kind of checking in. And that's what I recommend to people is keep checking in. It's kind of like, you know, the same thing when someone's lost a family member and you've got the funeral and the wake and the gatherings and then everybody disappears. so you want to keep, you know, your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And if it's friends and family, ideally that's happening already. But the main thing is just continuing to check in and and maintaining connection with the family and making sure she's doing all right and taking a good look into her eyes and seeing how she's doing. And I I really encourage that of um, friends and family because I'll have people say, you know, I don't, sister's having a baby I you know she won't let me do anything and how can I support her then just call her and talk to her listen you know give her let her know you're there if, if needed you know and um, that can be huge just knowing you can call someone I mean I have one friend I called on a hard day during my postpartum and just talking to her I mean she was in medical school I knew how busy she was but she's like if you if you ever just hit a point, and I was at that point I needed to talk and I talked to her and I felt so much better and just knowing she was there was huge for me so just letting the family know you're there and and you know keeping an eye on them and rather than just some people will um step away from a new family I, you know a lot of I, I had a lot of friends just kind of disappear when i had my first kid so you know keeping an eye keeping it connected and looking out for them just like you would even if it's not family your own family member just keeping an eye on them because it's the isolation i think is one of the hardest parts or or you know Isolation comes from a lot of different things. And I don't mean to go too off topic, but a lot of women don't feel comfortable going to a cafe with a baby for a lot of different reasons. Or even the grocery store is overwhelming and they can start to feel isolated from things they used to be able to do. So you want to help them feel still part of the community and essential and connected.
0: Yeah. And oh, yeah. yeah and that affects your confidence. It affects everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. I love this. This is so good. Thank you so much, Michelle, for doing this and for for all the things that you do.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.
0: That was Michelle Peterson, founder of the Seven Sisters Postpartum Care Program and author of the Seven Sisters for Seven Days, a mother's manual for community-based postpartum care. You can learn more at sevensistersprogram.com. And you can connect with us at Birthful Podcast on Instagram. In fact, if you're not driving, we would love it if you would take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to Instagram to your stories, sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode, or even telling us how you're planning to set up your village of support. Make sure to tag at birthful podcast so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Also, if you find this podcast to be an invaluable resource for you, then the best way to support us is by taking any one of my classes, doing one of my doula workshops, or trying out some of the amazingly wonderful products made by our sponsors. This is what allows us to continue doing this podcast. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Platy. Thank you so very much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on GoodPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and just everywhere you listen, and then come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One.